if you're not happy in work, then you're taking that, that impacts on your relationships, that impacts on your home life. It impacts on every aspect of your life. So because we spend so much of our time at work, I think it's really, really important to make sure that you are happy at work because it leaks into every aspect of our lives. That's Aoife O'Brien, founder of Happier at Work and host of the highly successful podcast of the same name. She has a clearly stated mission to create happier work environments for businesses that are doing good in the world. And her focus on values as fundamental in her work is one of the main reasons I invited her to the podcast today. Values are how we steer our way towards the businesses we imagined when we started. I'm Finola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. Today I have with me the wonderful Aoife O'Brien, who very interestingly describes herself as a happiness at work expert. And that is how I'd like to start our conversation, which is how did you come up with that? Where did it come from? And I'd love to know more. Great question, Fanola. <laughs> um, I suppose I, for me, it really stemmed from some experiences that I had at work. So I have worked um or I should say I worked in the market research industry for about 17 years and I have worked in multiple countries around the world. I worked in London for a time and there I absolutely loved my job. I also worked in Perth for a short time in something completely different, doing recruitment and loved. I also the- worked in recruitment. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, very good. I, I loved my job there. Something very different. It was a recruitment, but for the oil and gas industry, essentially. Wow. So hiring contractors. So is you know, uh, bulk recruitment in the blue collar industry. Very, very interesting, steep learning curve. But I so enjoyed working in that organisation. And I also worked in an organisation that made me realise that I had completely taken for granted the companies that I'd worked for previously in that I loved my job. I was really happy where I was, but I moved on for various reasons. And that planted a seed and it got me thinking from an individual's perspective, how could I as an individual make better decision around my careers so as to avoid working for a company like that one? And as a company, because they invested money in me, they they sponsored my visa to work there. They paid me a really high salary. And I left taking relationships with me, taking the, the client and not taking the clients, but, you know, I had built up great relationships with the clients. I'd built up a great knowledge base. And from the company's perspective, that obviously cost them a lot of money. So it got that sort of planted the seed. And that's about 10 years ago now at this stage. Can that I ask you? the seed initially. Yes. Sorry, go on. Sorry for interrupting. My my question for you, I think it's so interesting that you made a choice at a point to consciously choose now to work in places that you could be happy in. Well, <laughs> the story, the story, the plot thickens, as they say. Okay. So 
I made a conscious decision to leave that organisation because I most certainly wasn't happy. And I do see other people who are miserable at work, but they're not actually doing anything about it. Um, so upon leaving that organisation, I travelled and, and on my way to Australia, I travelled quite extensively as well. So after leaving Australia, I spent about a year travelling. Um, so I, I had travelled all over Australia. Uh, I travelled around New Zealand for the Rugby World Cup. And on my way home, then I went to Fiji. I, I went back to New Zealand. I went to Hawaii and I travelled around the States for three months. I came home for Christmas and then I travelled around uh, South America, including Antarctica, for six months. So lots and lots of travel, spending lots of money. Tell us about Antarctica. <laughs> oh, I mean, a once in a lifetime trip. It was absolutely incredible. Learned and saw so much. Um they had these education sessions on and we went out in in our little uh, Zodiac boats to see the wildlife, to take photographs, to land mostly on islands off Antarctica. There was one time that we, we landed on the peninsula itself, um, but it was just incredible to see the landscape. Like you really do feel like you're at the end of the earth. Wow. And I just I tried to make the most of it while I was there. It was just incredible. It was uh, a I think it was a 13 day trip, but it takes two days to get there and it takes two days to get back. And you're passing through the Drake Passage, which in itself is, uh, you know, it's choppy water. So you would notice in in the dining hall that um, only about a third of the people showed up for dinner in the evenings because most people were suffering from some sort of seasickness. Wow. Um, but yeah, no, it's just an absolutely incredible trip. Really, really incredible. A grand tour. Um, the grand tour, exactly. So after doing all of that, I I made a decision. Uh, I was thinking, well, I could go back to London, which is where I was working previously. I could go to New York, which is something I've always wanted to do. Or I could go back home to Dublin after seven years of being away. So I, I upon you know my travels, I made the decision to go back to Dublin and I took another job. Probably because, you know, I'd just spent a year spending the money that I had earned in Australia and uh, people used to laugh at me saying, oh, you must have won the lotto. No, I just saved my money. You know, what's <laughs> what's not to understand about that? So I landed back in Dublin and I took a job that uh, I subsequently loved. I loved it for eight months and then I, I was kind of, I ended up working there for four and a half years. But during that time, it was kind of up and down, up and down. And again, I got this idea that how can... How can I help people to make better decisions around their careers? But also from the company's perspective, you know, if I'm leaving that organisation after four and a half years of knowledge of client relationship building and I'm I'm leaving that organisation with all of that, that's costing them money. So both from the individual and from the organisation perspective, what can you do to retain people? What can you do to attract the right people in the first place? Um, and so I left that. I was unemployed for a time and I, I started a diploma in um, in executive and life coaching. And then I started a master's in organisational behaviour. And once I started doing the master's, it was kind of like, OK, yeah, this is it. This is exactly what it is that I want to do. Was that, do you think that that, like when I think about my career path, I always wanted to do marketing. Yeah. You know, so I was always very, very clear I would have, um, when I was in first year in secondary school, I would have done the mini company program. I would have done everything, would have always, even though I didn't know what marketing was when I started. Do you think that you, 
Because what's interesting about your story is you've come from market research, which is very unusual starting point of market research to coming into a space that's HR, which is a softer skill. Like you're thinking, when I think about market research, I think of data analytics, hard data, fast, hard, hard, hard. Yeah. And then soft, soft, soft goes to coaching. Yeah. So was it a surprise for you to have discovered coaching? Well, that, I mean, it's such an interesting point. And if I think back very early now, when I'm talking about leaving Cert Time, I was interested in psychology. And I think at that time, with the points being like close to 600, mm. I probably talked myself out of it thinking, well, I don't want to go to Trinity. I don't, I'm not going to get 595 points or whatever it was at the time. Um, therefore, I'm not even going to bother applying. So I I applied somewhere I wanted to go, which was DCU, doing something that had a mix of a few different things that I was interested in. So I did business and I did uh, business with languages, German and Spanish, which included things like maths, which I was good at. And it had a bit of psychology in there as well. But it was broad enough that I was it, to kind of keep me interested, if you like. And if I skip forward then to my application for the masters and what I said and how I tied it all together was that my interest really is in human behavior, if you Mm. think of it like that. So from a market research perspective, what interested me most was how are people behaving? So the example I often use is if you run a promotion on shampoo and people are buying two bottles instead of one bottle, we can analyze that to see how quickly do, do and this isn't in looking at individuals, this is at an aggregate level, how quickly are people returning to that category? How p- quickly are people returning to that brand? Are you only attracting people who buy on promotion anyway? And therefore you're not really attracting new loyal customers. So For me, the interest lay more in the people side of things. And when I worked for an organisation which focused solely on sales and distribution, the interest really wasn't there. There's not a huge amount that you can do with the data. And, And then skipping forward kind of to now, it's how can we use people data to facilitate better decisions? So I don't really see it as fluffy at all. And maybe that's why upon doing the coaching, I, was, I never really felt like this is a not really my calling. My strengths really are in that logical, that data, that analytics, the, the mathsy, hard science stuff, rather than the coaching can be a bit more fluffy. Although I did get really great feedback when I was doing the coaching, I never really felt that that was my calling. So interesting, the word calling, because as you know, from the way, from a lot of work that I do is I really start with kind of passion and purpose. And um, so data in some respect is data, people data then is your passion then. Yeah. So let's talk about data now in this era where everybody is terrified of data. And now we have the emergence of the idea of good data so that people can be less scared of it. So how can you help us be less scared of the data that you want to use to help people be happier at work? Is that a fair kind of yeah. Okay. I'll 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 start by kind of telling a bit of a story and give a bit of a background. Um I'm the kind of person I I never had this fear of the the likes of Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn having my data. I was always a bit like 
if they give me better ads, then that's OK. And I watched that show on Netflix then um, and the name always escapes me, but it's the one that kind of shows what's going on in the background with the algorithms. And what really scared me about that was that it's not that they have your data. And it's not that they're trying to target you with specific ads. It's that they're trying to manipulate your behavior. And that idea scares me that they would show me certain content that would change how I would naturally behave or that they would manipulate my behavior in some way. That's I think I think that's a deep concern of other people. For me, it's also that they skew my worldview that they they and they do this for so many people around the world that they skew what you see. And it means that we never fall upon something or and even when you did your grand tour, you happened upon things that were unexpected and unplanned and it changed your view. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. I don't like the manipulative either. I mean, it's and it also gives marketing a bad name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that you you know, you're trying to trick me in some way to yeah. buying something that I don't really need. Um but I mean I wanted to kind of highlight that because what what I do is not it's it's not that. It's it's more um and if you think about the the situations I found myself in, and if we say uh, I the the um the, talking about things like flow and calling and things like that. When I was working on my dissertation last year for the master's, I wanted to understand what was going on for myself. Essentially, I was coming at it from that perspective that I had these experiences at work and one of my lecturers said, oh, that's a, an issue of fit. And I thought, oh, fit, I must I must research this. I must look into this. So I did tons and tons of research around this concept of fit and fitting in at work. And I know some people call it different things and they say it's culture ad and we don't say fit anymore and we say culture match and all this kind of stuff. To me, it's semantics. It's all the same. Um, It really is about finding something that is a good match for you and for the organisation. And so I looked, I wanted to understand more about this person environment fit, essentially. So when I talk about that, I'm, I'm looking at things like values things like needs and things like strengths. So it's about understanding the behaviour in an organisation and what are the values. And it's not about like, oh, these are our values. Our values are that we are transparent. Our values are, but you have to live those values as well, Fanola. It's not it's not enough to to just say that these are the values that we have. You have to demonstrate that that's how you make decisions, that that's how people behave in the workplace, that that's how people get promoted. So it's, it's a consciousness kind of, as well. It's it's yeah, a really it's conscious choice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How yeah. many? What percentage do you think of companies are actually conscious about the reality of their values? And I know um, that's a huge question. <laughs> that is a huge question and really hard to tell. And maybe that is something that I will do some research on. And I yeah. think I've sort of, you know, I I feel like I'm evolving as as a business to kind of going back to my roots almost and saying I want to do I want to understand more about that and I want to do research on it so maybe that could be something where I just put it out there and I am about to launch a a research survey actually at the moment looking at well-being at work and and what mm-hmm. are companies doing and how are people feeling at the moment with remote working um but I would I'd love to understand that like how many people think that their companies have a clear 
corporate values, B, that those values are actually the reality of what's going on. You know, so there could be some organisations where they think, oh, yeah, we have we have our values. We're really clear about that. Um, but equally, that they're that's not actually a reflection of of the reality of what's going on. It's interesting because when someone says I have it, sometimes it makes me want to say prove it. Yeah. Yeah. Because when from a marketing perspective, you know, of predominantly a lot of the work that I would have done over the years was around brand and we would always have looked at values. And I've seen over the years that when we started, there was things like, oh, I don't have my values in place. And they'd um, they'd Google uh, some companies that they liked (laughs) and they'll go, oh, let me see. That looks like a good one. Sure, we'll do that. We'll put that up on the website. And it never. And what has happened over the years is now that I partner with a HR person in the company and we do exercises to extract the values and make sure that they're real and true. Mm. And it makes such a difference because that does. Yeah. And, And it's so funny because marketing and HR have often been at loggerheads and true brand fit when you're talking about fit is where inside and outside. So the internal customer and the external customer are at one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So it's, you know, that sort of that forms part of it is understanding the values. And so when you go to hire people and back to this idea of marketing, when you're putting your job ads out there, when you're telling people about what it's like to to work in your company, that that's actually a reflection of the reality. And therefore you can attract the right people who will stay for longer. And that saves you money, yeah. essentially. And who will be um, happier at work. And you will be happier at work. So the people who are hiring will be happier because they're surrounded. And I I don't want people to get confused with you're just surrounded by people use this term often like minded people. And Mm. it's like you should actually surround yourself with people who don't think like you. They can have the same values as you. But if if they they need to think in a diverse way, they need to solve problems in a in a different way. So for me, it the core of everything that you need is to have aligned values. So you have aligned values of it might be respect, it might be authenticity, it might be transparency, things like that. So you can get behind this common way of behaving, but also have a different way of thinking, you know, and it's it's really challenging that concept, because if you hire a whole load of people who would do who agree with everything that you say and who would do things the way that you would do them, then your company is going to stagnate. And also it feels a bit like a um, a seesaw. It's tipped to one side. You can't. Yes. And especially in this world now that we're talking a lot about by di- about diversity and inclusion. But I mean, diversity and inclusion should have always been there because it allows us to grow better because we yeah. don't get funneled in our thinking and yeah. think too small. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. If you were going to hire someone now with all of this data and this conscious choice around being happier at work. Yeah. What what were the steps? What are the steps you would take? For me to hire someone in my business? Yeah. That's a yeah, that's a really great question. And I think I would have to sit down and do an exercise because I think I don't believe that your values change over time necessarily. I think they're fairly static, but I would need to reflect properly and see where do I 
where do I show up in terms of my values in my business? So I have done a lot of values work through the coaching uh, and I do continue to think about, well, what are my values and how does that align? And set about finding someone who who has those similar values. And I think when you connect with someone, even if it's, you know, in this day and age, it's, it's everything's via Zoom. I think if you have similar values to someone, it becomes apparent very quickly just through a conversation because they you can kind of get behind the same things, if you like. So that's where I would absolutely start. Um, So for me, the values piece is critical. The other piece that I speak a lot about and that I did my research on is needs satisfaction. So I think it's important to understand how taking on this role satisfies the person's needs. So what needs are being satisfied for them? Is this very tough, though, for small to medium sized businesses where they start this process with, I need help. Yeah. But you're advocating that you start this process with, what do you need? Not what do I need? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good pushback. That's a good pushback. I think if you want to retain people and and this, I'm thinking of this from a solopreneur perspective. Yeah. The needs part really comes a bit further down the line when you're trying to retain people. And mm. the research I did shows as well that it takes, it, it's really three years that people become embedded in an organisation. So That it takes three years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's much longer than people think. They sort of think, oh, well, we'll do the induction for six months. It could be nine months, it could be a year. And then you're kind of off floating and you're you're left to your own devices. Um, but but really, it's f- focusing on those first three years and then it becomes more about loyalty and commitment after after the three years are up. But it is it's much longer than you might think. And that could be why a lot of people work in an organisation for two or three years and then they're like, oh, well, I'll either they say I'll give it two or three years and I'll move on. They stay two or three years because of their CV and they don't want it to look like they're moving around too much. Um, or they just get to three years and they're like, this really isn't what I thought it would be. And they leave. And when you're so uh, just want to go back to the values piece for one second. Yeah, because um, it's a tough thing for a growing business after rec- recruiting. So I have a, a, a rotten question for you now. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> so, you know, when you said that you will get from the conversation You'll understand, you'll get, you'll, you know, you'll feel if they have the same values as you. Yeah. Um, and my my thinking is, well, how, how do you know? Like, and my question for you is, what is your killer question to assess their values are in alignment with yours? Because I presume you can't ask them, what are your values? Most, to be honest, Fanola, most people don't know what their values are. I know. I would argue. Yeah. I would argue most people do not know what their values are. And if you had asked me a few years ago, what are your values? What are your needs? You you know, it, sorry, you don't. I, I would have been like, I have no idea what they are. But equally, you know when something feels not quite right to you. So using the example, like let's say in um, in Sydney, uh, and I'm trying to think, I I think for me, it it went against my values. It went against my needs. 
um, or my needs weren't being met at that organization. But one of my values would have been like fairness and transparency, let's say authenticity. So they they made a lot of promises, said, oh, you're going to be promoted and you're going to have this team. And then they didn't communicate anything with me and left someone else to communicate with me to say, oh, I'm your new boss now. And he had previously been one of my peers. Um, so take from that what you will. <laughs> but for me, that was like that. That was just completely uncalled for. So I don't think there's one specific question, but if you can ascertain what are your values and, and it really, to me, that comes from the top of the organization that needs to be crystal clear at the top. It, then ask questions around that and ask people to demonstrate their behavior to 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 find out, well, what 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 do they align with? What do they not align with? Or like, let's say if you have a value of fairness, um, how have you demonstrated fairness okay. in at work? Or how have you demonstrated transparency? Or how have you had tough conversations at work? And asking people to demonstrate what they have done in the past. And, and, and it really values is about behaviour and it's how, about how people behave and how they make decisions. You should say that again. Talk to us more about that because really values our behavior. Yeah. Yeah. It's how you it's how you show up. So on an individual level, let's say, when you're making decisions on a day to day basis, if something do, if something doesn't feel right to you, then it's likely that it goes against your values. But if something feels like this is the right thing to do for me, then it does align with your values. So it, it it shows up in how you make decisions and how you behave on a day to day basis, be that in your personal life, be that in work. And if you're having to do things that go against those values, then you certainly know about it because it doesn't feel right. The feel right is interesting also because yeah. I'm going to come back to your the hard and the soft piece. How because I've worked with a lot of people where the feeling yeah. piece of of understanding my feeling, my gut feeling, yeah, is not strong. They're very cerebral. So they will see we have different types of people in the world, right? And we love them all. Okay. So, but what if you don't have that feeling sense? You know, and that's I suppose you're you answered in saying, how do you demonstrate? So yeah. you know, yeah, this integration yeah, yeah, between hard and soft is really interesting in this conversation with you that we're we're wanting to yeah. do this people soft piece, data hard piece, evidence. Um, because sometimes I think people can't get that. What does it feel like? Because sometimes, especially if you're a small business as well, um, or maybe you're a new manager and it's you're maybe hiring for the first time, that feel yeah. piece is not has no basis in experience. Yeah. So yeah, they yeah. don't have because often feel is based on experience, you know, what has gone before. So how do we help ourselves make those choices, not by mistakes, yeah. but by tools that we can use. How do we help ourselves feel better that our that alignment is happening? That's that's a really great point, a really, really great question, because I think I am one of those people who is a little bit more cerebral as well. This feeling piece is is relatively new to me since I've been yeah. doing coaching and it's about get, going from here and going back down into your body. And and so maybe then it's about how you make decisions, like how yeah. do you use your head to decide what to do? 
you know, and, and, and demonstrating that as well. So, you know, to go back to the example of Sydney, I decided that this is not the right place for me because they made X, Y, Z decisions and I, I, I'm not having it, basically. I just mm. said, you know, they told me this one thing and that doesn't that doesn't sit with me at all. So I'm out of here. <laughs> they made that decision. So I made this decision. Or perhaps the the thing that we need to cultivate in ourselves nowadays is to understand that we have many data inputs, you know, in our in our being. So one yeah. data input is our head. Yeah. Another data input is our gut feeling of a situation. Yeah. Another, you know what I mean? So that that it's not just it's still, it comes back all the time, this hard and soft and that we need to integrate this way to make us better decision makers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's a really good message. Yeah. I want to stay with this topic of conversation. So we've explored a little bit around the values and the importance of values. And perhaps the insight that you've shared with us now is to for the organization needs to make sure that they have true felt values that they have reflected on. Yeah. Or and the small to medium sized business who's hiring for the first time or the 10th time or whatever it is, enters into the interview room with an established set of values. Don't talk to anybody about bringing somebody on board into your business until you know who you are in terms of your values and your behavior around those values. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. And I'll kind of add a bit of a caveat for that because it goes back to the point that you made earlier, Fanola, around, um, uh, you know, the business has a need that needs to be fulfilled. So what is the needs that they have? And oftentimes when we put out job ads, when we're looking for someone, it's to have specific skills. But actually from the research, it's more important to make sure that the values are aligned. Unless you're in something very, very specialist, you can teach people how to do things. You know, you can teach people skills. But so long as you're bringing in someone who has similar values, they're going to feel right at home and they're going to stay in your business for longer. As a, that always makes sense for an organization that can carry the learning curve. Yes. For a smaller business, um, when they're hiring early on in its life, can that business afford the learning curve? Yeah. And it is, this is it. It's an investment of time and it's an investment of energy. But I think if you get it right, then it w- it's going to pay off because that person will stay for longer. Is the, is again, just interesting that you brought this idea of needs and it's their needs. And is it their needs before our needs? I mean, obviously it should be that both are in alignment. Yeah. But in that, the three year time frame is scary, actually, you yeah. know, when I think about it, because so many people leave because when that three years is up, it's kind of like it's it could go either way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you've done things well and if you've done things right and if you have um, met their needs in a way that they need to be met, then it sh- they should stay for longer. I suppose this, this is the point. And it's, I, I totally get where you're coming from in this, like, 
Is it our needs or is it their needs? I suppose it's coming back to, well, what are your needs? And again, I would love to do more research in this mm. area. So um, the needs that I did my research on are autonomy, relatedness and competence. They are universal needs. Everyone has them. But the interesting thing is you might have different degrees of those needs. So my need for autonomy might be stronger, but you can also provide too much autonomy to people. And if they have too much autonomy, then they, they need more guidance. You've just kind of left them to their own devices without giving them enough guidance to what they need. So it's finding that balance. Um, but if you were to flip it on its head, one thing that, and you know, and I started making notes about this to really understand from an organization's perspective, the maybe the opposite of autonomy is initiative. And so mm. from an organization's perspective, the needs that an organization has is someone can demonstrate that they have initiative, that they can just get on with things, they, that they don't need all that much guidance. Um, the other needs then for competence and relatedness. So competence might be you, the organization needs people who are willing to take out time in their week to learn stuff and that they have a learning culture and that they're willing to take on board feedback when things don't go according to plan. And the relatedness piece then is having someone who likes other people and who likes interacting with other people, even if they are an introvert, but they that they show respect, that they that they listen to what other people have to say and things like that. So that would be my view on, on the needs side of things. And then the strengths is more about the skills and the abilities. So what are the demands of the role and how can that person meet those demands with the skills that they currently have? I mean, that's a really good guidance for someone who's bringing people into their organisation, which is that initiative, competence and relatedness. Yeah. It's a really nice cornerstone to have. Yeah. Like, thank you for that. I think that's <laughs> a really nice piece. I to... would, and, and again, I would love to do more research on that. And, and what does that look like? And are there universally you know, similar to what individual needs are, are there universal needs that organisations have? And are there universal values as well? Like, is respect a universal value? Is transparency a universal value? If an organisation doesn't have respect or doesn't have transparency, does that automatically mean that it's a toxic environment? You know, so many things I would love to understand more about. And that would actually be nice to have out in the ether that we educate ourselves of what yeah. is a universal need or a yeah. universal value so that we know when to run for the hills. Exactly. <laughs> How do I know that I'm entering into this toxic work environment? What questions can I as an individual ask to ascertain what the values of the organisation are and how decisions get made there? Yeah. Do you think that this is, do you think that this and it, it requires a consciousness in the organisation too, a consciousness, be a consciousness beyond profitability. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that, you know, that whole triple sustainability argument of people, planet, profit um, and where for so many years we focused predominantly on profit and people becomes is still. Do you feel that the whole people area is still sidelined a little bit, but it's starting to gain momentum because it has a direct relationship with the hard data of the profit. It's it's so interesting, Fanola, because I suppose whether it's the circles that I move in, whether it's what I'm exposed to, going back to this algorithm thing, like everything yeah. that I'm exposed to is it's people first. It's it's always people first. 
And, um, you know, thinking of, of my own podcast, the people who come on are the, the people who have similar views to me. And I, I have been challenged on that, where someone said, would you not get on people who don't necessarily agree with you? Um, but I also understand that it's your podcast. But I do try and challenge that thinking. But for me, from what I've seen, if you put people first, the profits are certainly going to follow. So it's not... It's not that you're you're putting people first because it's the right thing to do, but but also the money follows from that, you know. Whether that's yeah. people are putting in extra effort because you have the right people there, people stay longer, so you don't spend as much time or as much money having to replace them. I also wonder if there's a correlation between how you treat people internally and how you treat customers externally. Oh, there absolutely is. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, is there research <laughs> that that brings that that direct correlation? It's like if we teach ourselves to be good to our own people, then we by extension, we will automatically be more respectful, yeah. more, um, you know, we'll care more deeply for our customers. And if we care more deeply for our customers, how long will they stay with us? Will they stay beyond three years? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have any research offhand. I do have anecdotal stuff that that talks about, you know, imagine you're treating Kate, you're her manager and you're not treating her very well. And then she goes to deal with the customer, but she doesn't really care about the customer because she hasn't received that same level of care from her own manager. Mm. And she doesn't care whether the customer stays or not, because what's in it for her at the end of the day, you know, so... Uh, only anecdotally, I've heard these stories, but I, I, I'm not aware of any research. But um, definitely after this call, I can go and, and look something up. It makes me then also wonder, are we now starting to teach ourselves how to be better humans? Yeah, I think it's about being more human at work, really. Mm. And, and bringing that human, bringing that vulnerability. Um, you know, people aren't robots. You, mm. you can't hire people to be robots. Um, they do, you know, and you'd, in the same way that you take your home life into your work life, you take your work life home. And I suppose that's that's the whole reasoning behind the happier at work. So because we spend so much of our time at work, so, you know, it could be eight hours a day. If you're not happy in work, then you're taking that. That impacts on your relationships, that impacts on your home life. It impacts on every aspect of your life. So because we spend so much of our time at work, I think it's really, really important to make sure that you are happy at work because it leaks into every aspect of our lives. And we need to choose that now. I think that the world will be better place if we choose to kind of take down that shutter between work and home life and realise that we're humans in bu- in all parts of our life, that it's yeah. life, not just work and exactly, life. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And interestingly, one of my, you know, I've had various conversations about this concept of work-life balance. Um, it's it's been called work-life harmony. And I was like, oh, that's a really great way of talking about it. And then a very recent conversation, the lady brought up this concept of just harmony. It's just life. Like it's not exactly. work and life because yeah. that there's always going to be give and take when it's work and life. It's just one great big thing called life, you know, and work happens to be one aspect of it. But when you look at the holistic picture, then it's it's just life harmony. It's making sure that things, you know, I don't want to say balanced because that that implies like that you're doing some sort of juggling act, but that everything, everything works together, essentially. So it's really happier at life. 
<laughs> oh no, I've got to change the name now. <laughs> I think that's a good way, good place to finish our conversation. And I know that people would love to know more about how they can find out about you. And please share with everybody, Aoife. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's the Happier at Work podcast. If you just search for Happier at Work, you will find that wherever you listen to podcasts. I have painstakingly made sure that it's available uh, pretty much everywhere. So if I find somewhere that it's not available, then uh, I tend to add that. Um you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. That's kind of my preferred social media, professional media, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'll spell out my name for those who are not listening in Ireland. Uh, it's A-O-I-F-E, O'Brien. That's O apostrophe B-R-I-E-N. Um, I'd love to connect on LinkedIn. You can also check out the website, which is happieratwork.ie. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Aoife. Thanks, Fanola. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Aoife, check out her website at happieratwork.ie and tune into her podcast of the same name. And if you'd be so kind to share this episode with someone you know who would find it valuable, I would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to reach out to me about the podcast or anything else, email me at ask at fanolahoward.com. And I'll be back next week with another guest. And until then, Take care.